Let's open in prayer. Father, we look to You, to Your Spirit to instruct us, to guide us, to speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to know Your Word. We want to know Your written Word and we want it to manifest itself in us. But Lord, we want to walk as Jesus walks the living Word. Teach us today, we ask. In Your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. We'll read together. Follow in your Bibles with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather give thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral, impure person, or covetous person, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. The greatest goal in life is really to know the Lord Jesus Christ. To walk in His way, to love Him, and share His light into a world of darkness. You were blind once, but now you see. You've come into the light. And as we stand in His presence, we absorb the light of His truth. It shows us our sin. It shows us how we can get right and how stay right. And as we walk in this world, it makes a difference and really shows what we believe and who we believe. Again, the believer's duty is to be an imitator of God. Look back at verse 1 in our text. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now that word, therefore, you know, in for verses 1 and 2, connect it back to the last chapter we were looking at. And let me take you back there just for a moment to Ephesians 4.1 on the screen. You'll see it. It says, I employ you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. See, Paul was exhorting the believers, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You've been called to Christ. You're called to be holy as He's holy in this life. And while none of us will ever reach that purity here on this side of eternity, we are to put off the things of the flesh we saw and put on the things of the Spirit. There is a way that you and I walk that's distinctly different than the world. In fact, look with me at John 14.9. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Jesus, the thing I want to bring out is that when you see Jesus, when you look on the pages of Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus come to reveal the Father and at the same time die upon the cross for your sins. And that's so important that we can know how to walk and we become imitators of God. We become imitators of Christ Jesus. Now that word imitate is translated in the Bible in several different ways. It's either imitate or follow. In fact, let me read from the third epistle of John in verse 11. It says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil is not seen God. So if we continue in evil, if we imitate evil, and it's really saying, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. That our lives are to reflect who we believe and what we believe. Look with me in Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. So again, consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. The principle is when you see someone who are walking in the Word of God, that are preaching the Word of God, that are teaching the Word of God, and it doesn't necessarily just mean a pastor. The church should never revolve around a pastor. It should revolve around Jesus Christ. This church should not depend upon me. This church should depend upon Jesus Christ. Our prayer should be that God will raise up men and women that share the vision of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified and to be holy as He's holy as the Scripture says. So when you see men walking or women walking in the faith, you are to imitate or follow them in the way they do. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. So when you see someone following after Christ Jesus, then we want to be like them. I have many mentors in my life. There are things that I see in this person and this person and this person. And I say, Lord, I want to be like that because that's like you in Christ. I want to be just like you. So what we do is we put ourselves under those people and we learn to walk as they walk. This is Christianity 101. This is the simple gospel message that it focuses on Christ and Christ alone. Look with me in 2 Thessalonians 3.9. You will have it on the screen now. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. That word disciple, and we're going to see imitator or follow are oftentimes interchangeable. Let me explain what I mean because that word imitate, we are to walk as he would walk. As we see someone else, we put ourselves under them and learn, but what we're under is the word of God. So that word, again, imitator, oftentimes is translated follow. Follow in the things of Christ. Not follow after evil or those that would do those things. So a disciple is a imitator. Now I'm not going to ask you to hold your hands up, 
But I could ask you to hold your hands up and I would say, how many disciples are here today? And every person's born again hand should go up. Every person's hand should because if we've been born again, then we are to be a disciple of Christ. We are to be an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to follow after him and follow in his ways. Now the idea here is, as just as children imitate their parents, you ever notice that? And you ever notice your kids? They not only pick up the good things, they pick up your bad things. You ever notice that? What we need to do is pick up the good things in other people's life, and we need to walk as Jesus Christ walks so others would imitate and follow in those ways, just as a kid would follow. We have a heavenly Father. And when we see Jesus, we see what the heavenly Father is like. So what we do is we become an imitator of our heavenly Father because we are children of God. Now please understand, not every person in this world is a child of God. Now they may be a child by creation, yes, but the only children of God are those who have been born again. A supernatural birth from above. When you recognize that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you cannot save yourself, and in your heart you cry out, God, save me a sinner. Or like the man who beat his chest, have mercy upon me, God, a sinner. Then we're saved. And God comes in our heart. Again, let me read for a moment John 14, 9. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, yet you have not come to know me, Philip? And he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Well, Jesus is, is this great love for us. His great love for us has led him to sacrifice himself for you and me. To go to the cross. He loved you so much, he went to the cross. Is there anyone today that you would die for today? Moms, probably your kids. Maybe not your husband. But your kids, yes you would. Jesus Christ died for every person in this world, whether they would receive him or not. He made a way for every person in this world by coming from heaven to earth to make that sacrifice that we could receive Him as our Lord and Savior. Likewise, as a believer, our love, if we're imitated, should be like the same love of the Father. The same love that the Father gave His only begotten Son. It cost Him everything to give His Son. And we... Likewise, like that love of the Father, should be willing to give ourselves even for someone that we don't know. Those are hard words, aren't they? But we, as believers, will be known by our love for one another. That is, that is at that point of maturity that God wants to bring you and me to. Think of Paul, the book of Romans. He was willing to give up his salvation if it was possible. 
again for Israel to be saved. Would anyone give up their salvation today? I don't think so. But that's where God wants to bring you and me to. You cannot give up your salvation once it's been given. It is a gift, and He has given it. See, the love that God has for you and me goes beyond any affections. And the love that we should have for others goes beyond any affections. Some of us in in our past life, and hopefully not now, have been very unloving people. But yet God set His love upon us. And He demonstrated it while we were in our worst. For you and me. That's the love that you and I are to love this world with. To love one another. To esteem one another higher than ourselves. That's biblical love. That's Christianity. That's where the rubber meets the road. So Paul continues his instruction really in how to be an imitator of God. It's living a life of love. If there's one thing that you ever get in this church, it's all about loving God with all your heart, mind and soul and strength, and loving one another. Because that's the very way that you and I will fulfill the law. It's hard to love. But this love that he has is agape love or agapeo love and it's supernatural love that he pours in our hearts when we cry out and say, God, I cannot love. You've got to give me the love, the love, the unloving. I have a friend. He crosses all boundaries. In fact, I have a... What I mean by that, both of them can lay in the gutter with a homeless person, someone who's drunk on drugs, and minister to them, and the next moment minister to a governor of the state or the president. Very few of us have that ability. Very few of us have that gift. But that should be our desire. That whatever situation you and I are in, that we should say, Lord, use me. You're here because God is preparing you for tomorrow, the next day. He could prepare you all your life for one main moment in your life. And when you get to eternity, you'll say, God, thank you for that moment to lead this person, that person, your family member, someone who was so far away from, from grace, to lead them into the presence of the Lord. Maybe it's by a a quiet, silent life that you lead before them that they watch day in and day out. When you're going through those mountaintop experiences and, and those valley experiences and they're watching how you deal with things and they see that joy, the joy of the Lord in your heart. And they might ask you, why do you have such joy? Why is it you're so happy? What makes a difference in your life? I have a question for you to think about. What makes you different than your neighbor? I pray it's Jesus Christ. Because you're an imitator of Him. Notice again, the believer's duty is to walk in love. We see it in verse 2 and 
and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. And notice he gave himself up for us an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Jesus Christ is love incarnate. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He gave up everything he had to come here and live as a man for people to spit at him, mock him, torment him, to pay the price. Please, never take this lightly. Never get tired of these words. If you get tired of these words, I'm going to tell you that you're probably left or in the process of leaving that first love relationship. Jesus Christ loved you so much, He gave His life. He's the perfect example, the perfect model of what love looks like. Every day, you and I, as we read through the Bible at that pace, not again so many chapters a day, but reading to hear God, I think one of the things you should be is in the Gospel every day. Looking at Jesus while in the Old Testament, a proverb, a psalm, and reading different places. Not, it doesn't have to be a lot, but it's reading with intent to hear. That's something that we lack today. We need, as we go through this life, as we walk out this life, be intent on our steps. Does it bring glory to God? Will this step hinder me in my relationship with God and others. We need to be intent as we go through this life. Our lives are to be centered around Jesus Christ. See, God is love, and the life that is like Christ is a life of love. That should be our goal. God, make me more loving. Make me like Your Son. Teach me to walk in Your ways. See, love is the essential mark of really the Christian's character. That's really identification. This person has been in the presence of God. This person knows God. The love that I'm talking about is agapeo. It's that sacrificial love. It's not a brotherly love. It's not necessarily a family love. This is a supernatural love. To love the most unloving people. To love people with no motive at all for myself. To love them because you love them. Look with me in John 13, 14. If I then, Lord and Teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus was willing to take the lowest position in the house. They would oftentimes have a slave doing that washing. But here, the one that spoke all things into existence got down and washed your feet. How would you feel if I got down and washed your feet? It would be a little embarrassing, wouldn't it? Yeah, sorry if I embarrassed you. But can you imagine Jesus washing your feet? Peter pushes... I think every one of us would have responded the way Peter did. But this is what we're supposed to do one another. I'm not saying wash feet. But take that lowest position, take that position as a servant, and love people. When you're serving someone else, and you're not wanting anything in return, people recognize that you love them, and you care about them. 
if you want to share the gospel with someone, if you're always coming down upon them, who's going to listen to that? But if they know that you love them and you're speaking from a place of love, they will hear that. They will think about it. They may file it away. They may not respond at that time. But love opens the door for you to speak to other people. That's why love is so important in your life and my life. Look at John 15, verse 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I've loved you. Here's the standard. Greater love has no one than this, than one would lay down his life for his friends. To lay down your life for your friends. I like my comfort. Does anyone else? You know, sometimes it's hard to get up and put someone else before us. But that's what God has called you and me to. To be there. I've had people in my life that have just dropped. I know whatever they're doing. I know there's people that I could just, if I called, if I was in need, they would drop whatever they need and they would come. They would be there to assist me. Are you that kind of person to the people that are in your life? That's what God has called us to do. That's love that we see. This is, this is what love is supposed to look like. This is what the world doesn't know. Look with me again in Romans 12.1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. See, when we come to God, we present our bodies, notice what it says, again, as a living and a holy sacrifice. We're going to be talking about sacrifices that are dead. He doesn't want that. But what He does want us to do is die to ourself that we are a living sacrifice. It's not my kingdom. It's not my will. It's His will that we're steaming others higher than ourselves. That's again, biblical love. That's what Christianity is all about. Loving God and loving others. Therefore, that we need to be an imitator or a follower of those that pattern after Christ or example of Christ. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 2 again. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So to walk in love means being, first of all, being kind. Being kind. It's also being tender-hearted to one another in Christ. Now, I'm not going to have you hold your hand up, but have you ever been wronged by somebody within the church? And you want to get even with them? You want to tell everybody what they did? But love, again, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, takes like a blanket and covers that sin. It just loves that person. Love covers that multitude of sin. And, and what we do is we learn to be, again, kind, tender-hearted, loving one another and say, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Pray for them. See, when a person walks in love, there is no bitterness as we talked about in, in the last chapter. There is no wrath. There is no anger. There is no clamor. There is no evil speaking seen in a person. 
When a person says, I'm walking in love, and you see those things, they're not walking in love, they're deceiving themselves. And I think everyone here probably at some point has deceived themselves. Thought they were on that right path. That's why we need brothers and sisters in our life that love us, that can speak in, that you give them permission to speak to you as a friend because you know they love you. Well, again, Christ Himself is that perfect example. Have you given Christ permission to speak to you? I know that sounds very simple, but again, in the Psalms it says, search my heart and see if there's any wicked ways. Let me just stop there. And you wait. And you let God begin to speak to you. Or how did I do today, Lord, at the end of the day? And that's something we need to ask Him. Yes, we confess our sins. Yes, He's faithful and just to cleanse us. But we need to know when we go wrong. I want to. Because if there's someone I I owe apology to, I want to tell them. I want to be an encourager. Look again in verse 2. It uses that word, Offerings. When we think of offerings, we think of a material object, and certainly they were an integral part, again, of the, the offerings of the worship, of the Israelite worship. It's from Cain and Abel right through the book of Revelation, that's true. And the law specifies exactly how those offerings would be brought and what kind of offerings would be acceptable to God. Now, why the primary requirement of an offering was was a lamb. It was grain. It was bread. But it was to be the, the very highest quality would be brought. Not your leftovers, but the best. In fact, what it's saying is, is the cost is important. If somebody would buy you something, just they just bought it because it was 99 cents and they just wanted to give it to you and maybe it's a joke and you, that's fine, but, but sometimes some people just, they feel like they've got to give you something and they really haven't done it from the heart. It hasn't cost him anything when David had sinned in order to stop the plagues. It was going to be given to him the sacrifices and, and really the place to do it. He says, no, I will not give anything to the Lord that does not cost me. An offering should cost everyone. When you came today to worship and praise, that is an offering. It is a praise worship. It means it may have cost you from doing something else that you have come here to be with the Lord and that was more important. Probably one of the greatest things that we could give is our time, in ourself. The example God gave, again, the greatest gift was His own Son. But notice what He was saying in Amos, through the prophet Amos the Lord. Amos 5, verse 21 and 22, it says, I hate, I reject your festivals. Now these festivals were to be a festival to the Lord. They were to be a memorial or remembrance of what God was done. and It was to be joyfully centered around the Lord and praising and exalting Him. But notice what he says, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer to me burnt offerings 
in your grain offerings. I will not accept them. I will not even look at your peace offerings or your fatlings. See, there needs to be a change in our approach to God. See, when we come, we have to come thinking, this is amazing. I can come and give to the Lord. God is pleased when you sing to Him. When you give, if it's an offering, a tithe or whatever, it is an offering to Him and He's pleased. And we're going to talk about that. Again, look with me at Mark 12.33 just for a moment. And to love with all your heart, with all of your understanding, with your strength, and to love one another as Himself is much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, these things, if they're not with the right attitude, were absolutely meaningless to God. In fact, He abhorred them because they had a religious mode. It's something that we do. It could be for us, we just come on Sundays. We just come to a home study. But do we come to meet with God? Do we come in anticipation? Do we come in expectation God's going to speak? God's going to use us in some way? What does God require? Psalm 51 verse 17 talks about what He desires is a broken and contrite heart. David had sinned greatly. He had committed adultery, but Beersheba had killed her husband or made the arrangements No sacrifice would please him except for one that was broken and a contrite heart. Look with me in 1 Peter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and Jesus Christ. What God wants more than anything else today is your heart. Have you given Him your heart. If you've given Him your heart, He is number one in your life. He is before all things in this life. And that is a very hard thing to do. I I haven't arrived. Paul hadn't arrived in the Bible. But that should be our goal. That should be our desire to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and make Him number one. Notice again, living stones, a testimony Something spiritual happened. When people see us, the life that we live, it becomes this sacrifice to Him. Look again with me. And Micah 6 eight describes more again what's pleasing to the Lord. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God? Humbly before your God. He is God and God alone. I am but a man. Now some people don't like what I say next. But in reality, I want to encourage you, we're all a bunch of dirt balls. He's done wonderful things out of the dirt. But reality is, we must see ourselves truly as we are. He is God. He is holy. He is pure. And I am not pure. And I am not righteous. Though I am declared righteous, He sees me just as I never said. But I must never lose the sight of where I am that I need Him 
He doesn't need me. The way we please God is by imitating Jesus' love for others. And love, you know, moms, dads, it always costs you, doesn't it? You remember the hours of sleep. The things that you really wanted to get that you gave up for your kids. Love cost us. Anything that is really important or valuable, you will sacrifice for that. And what you give up in life will show what's really important to others. Now look at that word sacrifice again. It indicates a, a victim was slain. And in this case, it's speaking of Christ's death upon the cross, His sacrificial shedding of the blood, because He identified with Christ as His death, the Christian life likewise must prove again that He's identified with Christ, that when we're baptized, we're buried with Him and raised, that also too, in a spiritual sense, we die to ourselves. That's what's pleasing to God when you and I choose to die to ourselves. Our desires when we make Him the Lord of our life. Not just say Lord, but that we live a life that He is Lord and Savior. Notice again in that same verse, to God is a fragrant aroma. See, it's that fragrant aroma that's pleasing to God. Christ's death made it possible when we stop and think about it for the redemption of every person that would trust and believe in Him from right from the beginning of creation through the day He takes us home. It's that sacrifice that's pleasing. What is that? It's a death to self-will. Jesus had to die to Himself that you might have life. And likewise, every believer has to die in a sense to our self-will and make God again first. That's what's a pleasing sacrifice. That's what blesses His heart. That's what He longs for. Is that we would deny ourselves and we would bring the Gospel out to others. That we would serve one another in love. That we would go and visit the shut-ins or at Life Care Center. There are a lot of, I'm going to tell you, a lot of lonely people there that no one goes and sees. To sit there. This last week, I had the pleasure of just flipping through and showing pictures, and the smiles on their faces just were incredible. So you go there to bless someone, and you leave blessed. When you're in the middle of God's will, you will be blessed. The believers walk in love. It is to be dramatically, stop and think about it, dramatically, visibly different lifestyle than the people of this world. Your life is to be totally different than everyone else. Now, if you remember the story, Christmas story of Scrooge, everybody knew the story of Scrooge. Now, I don't want you to be a Scrooge on your block, but as much as everyone understood who Scrooge was, they should know on this block, this person is a Christian. They're moral. They're kind. They're tender. They worship God. They know if someone or something goes wrong on, in that neighborhood, they will be the first ones to help and be kind. 
and demonstrate oftentimes what others will not do. But if we as believers in the Lord compromise our faith, our belief, and we begin to follow the ways of the world, imitate those ways, then there's no longer a clear moral distinction between us and the world. Sadly, in the church, the divorce rate is as high in the church as it is in the world. The drug rate, the alcohol rate, is just as high in the church. That tells me that within the church, there's a lot of people that are really not saved, still in bondage to the things of the world. When that happens, and we compromise, we've lost that clear moral distinction, we fail to represent the one that we profess to believe in, that we love accurately. Look at Ephesians 5.8. For you were formerly in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Again, you're formerly, he's speaking to, to believers. He knows they're believers. You're formerly in darkness. You are brought from darkness into light. You are blind, but now you see. Now walk as children of light. There's the exhortation. Walk. Walk in the truth. Light is truth. It's, it's understanding. It's knowledge of who God is and how He would have you and me walk. It's not chasing after comfort. It's not chasing after signs and wonders. It's becoming conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And when we are doing that, we will find there are incredible things that begin happening in our lives that we have never seen before. Look at Matthew 5, 14 and 16. You are the light unto the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that you, have, that you may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said to, to the disciples, you are the light of the world. I'm going to tell you, if you're a believer, you're the light of the world. Now, we know that Jesus is the light of the world, but if we have been in His presence, we are filled with His light and His truth, and we need just, again, be in such a place that the whole world sees, again, we're distinctively different. There's a path, another path that they don't know about that leads to life. It's straight and narrow that leads to life. But it's broad and wide that leads to destruction. Joshua would say, choose life or death. The choice is yours. Many people will deceive themselves. Now, again, this, this being a light, it's living a self-sacrificing life of love that is a light unto the world. And this is really... It's totally different. It, it's, it's in contrast to the self-centered vices when you're living for my, yourself, for myself. The life for Christ is a life of self-denial. It's in 
conduct, it's in speech. Look with me in verse 3. Walking in love is a walk that is morally pure. It's so interesting that we think we're morally pure, but yet we're tainted as we go through this life. Would you agree with that? You turn on the TV, you, you can't help but be tainted. Look again, verse 3. But in morality, any impurity and greed must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. See, in that culture, it was morally impure. These people came out of darkness. They still have these things to leave. The exhortation, these things shouldn't be named among you. See, Paul's speaking that the light that we walk in should affect our lives that we walk a life of purity. Now, again, those things may be prohibitive for us because they rob God of His glory and they destroy us. Now, Paul talked about this last time, so we're not going to go into depth in here, but, but sexually immoral, while it's prohibitive for the believer, again, it was tolerated. It was permissible. A man would have three women in his life. One for fun. One for everyday use. Forgive me, ladies. I'm just saying what the culture did. And one to procreate their family. And when these people came into the church, they brought this into the church and it had to stop. Back in early Calvary Chapel when they got saved, it was a generation, the love generation. Make love, not war. And amazingly, miraculously, God changed so many of those lives. And they came lives that were lives of love, lives that walked in the light, that were pure and holy, yet some refused to give up that lifestyle. Notice again the word purity. Again, it just speaks of that secularized, again, existence along with greed. Colossians 3.5 says this, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. I, this is our idol. It, it's not just a, a little wooden or stone idol. These things actually can become an idol. That you worship these things. You live for these things. Your lust drives you. Look at Ephesians 5.12. For it is disgraceful even to speak of such things which are done by them in secret. See, these things were done in secret. They knew, but they were done in secret. Today, everything is in the open. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah today, and it's getting worse. And I fear for that next generation. We need to let our lives shine. He's saying not even a hint. These things are improper. In this sinful, rebellious world, there may be many activities, but they're unacceptable to us. There's no difference in the world. The world has come in to the church. They're improper for God's people. They shouldn't be talked about. 1 Peter 1.15 But like the Holy One who's called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. 
Now that word holy is, it, it means religious awe. If you saw God today, if Jesus was here, uh, every believer would fall down on the ground. You would have such an awe and such reverence. Holy means first a reverential awe of who He is. It also means to be separate or consecrated, cleansed, purified. It's the kind of life that you and I should live. It's true. And it's a, it's a life that shows reverence to God. He is God. He is not the man upstairs. That shows Him no respect. That shows Him disrespect because He is God. He is holy and pure. Walking in love is to walk also verbally pure. That is, the words that we speak should also be reverent. Not silly talk. Coarse jesting. Not only are Christians called to a higher standard sexually, but also our words. That is so important. He urges them not to degrade, not to demean sexuality or to have crude jokes. Certainly, you know when you turn on the radio, if you're, you're scanning channels and some of the things you hear, the, the topics, they all center around gross, immoral, impure things. And you know what the reality is? We are bent toward those things. If you begin listening to them, it's so easy for people to get caught up if they've not trained themselves. Sometimes those jokes can be very witty. And people say, oh, it's just the wittiness of them. It's not just the wittiness of them. It is a hook. And Satan desires to hook and pull you away. It's this kind of humor that draws people simply away from Christ Himself. The fact is, again, the, the old man, the old self, likes these kind of things. But a believer does not like these things. It's another test. How am I doing if I'm still tracking after things of the world? Coarse jokes. It it's even includes here is you've heard people, maybe you were part of it when you were younger, you, you would pick on another kid. There was something wrong with them or mock them or a different culture. At the sake of others, you would have a laugh. It really has no regard for people. It's just myself. It's sarcastic ridicule. It goes too far. It's counter again to what Paul's teaching and building up the body of Christ. Now that doesn't mean that Christians shouldn't have a laugh or be humorous. But the things that we find humorous should be different. Look at Proverbs 12.18 There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Proverbs 21.23 And he who guards his mouth, his tongue, guards his soul from troubles. Well, look at verse 5. We see a walk in love is, is a confident walk. A confident walk. If I'm walking in Christ, I know where I'm going to go when I die. I know my actions really are bringing glory to God or they're not bringing glory to God. 
Notice this confident walk. Verse 5, for this you know with certainty that no immoral, impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has inheritance in the kingdom of God. Again, the Ephesians at the time, they, they were addicted to luxury, to comfort. Our culture is very similar to that. It's addicted to comfort. Living for comfort. Bigger homes. More things. Keeping up with the Joneses. It's, it's always on the moment. What's going to satisfy me? Think of Esau who was covetous over a stew. He sold his birthright for a ten-minute transaction for his life's inheritance. What about the pastor? Who was taught faithfully year after year and, and then embezzles money. Or commits adultery. Or the Christian who is a businessman and for ten minutes everything they've ever done is thrown out the door. Now that doesn't mean if they are a believer that they've lost salvation, but it also may mean they are not a believer and they've been living a hypocritical life. And that's something I always ask myself, Lord, am I living a hypocritical life? Does anyone, let me ask you, does anyone ever feel like a hypocrite? I really want to do the right thing. But sometimes I fail. I fall short. See, there's a conviction in our heart from the Holy Spirit. Then we can cry out, confess our sin. He's faithful and just to cleanse us. You know, I like a shower. I just feel that clean. And when I pray and I confess my sin, I feel just like I got out of the shower. Because it's all taken away. All washed down the drain. The difference is when the Lord, you confess your sins, there's no ring in the bathtub. With the Lord, it's all gone. Galatians 5, 19 and 21, notice what it says again, or I'll just lift out the things. Paul also stated that people who practice or habitually do that whole list of deeds, what we call the deeds of flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, you and I can have that confidence as we go through this life that we're wanting to walk that straight and narrow path. We know we don't fall into these habitual patterns. We do know that we sin, but we know that He has also made provision when we sin. We can know for certainty that God is a righteous judge and He knows our hearts. Notice again in verse 5, as inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Look with me in Romans fourteen seventeen For the kingdom of God, what is it about? It's not about eating or drinking, or, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy. The Holy Spirit. I love eating. I used to love trying different restaurants and different recipes. And yeah, you'd all hold up your hand. That's living for the for the moment. But but this kingdom, it's about righteousness, having a rightness with God, with others, and peace. After salvation, there's nothing you need more than anything else than peace knowing that God is on the throne and He's coming for you soon. Enjoy! 
joy in the Holy Spirit when things are not going right. Look with me. Walking in love is a discerning walk. Verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience and deceive you because of these things. Matthew 24 makes it very clear. Many false prophets will rise and will mislead many. While this is talking about a period of time, I, I believe, and leading to the tribulation, it's leading to the tribulation now. There are many false prophets that are not teaching Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified, not teaching the Word of God. Notice with me in Colossians, they were having problems even then. In fact, Colossians 2.8, it says, See to it that no one deceives you or takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Notice it's according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of these world, rather than according to Christ. Let no one take you captive through philosophy. Yet, many people are deceived by it. Why? Because they do not read the Word of God. They do not hide this Word in their heart. Look at 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is at John's time, about 95 A.D., somewhere in that area in the 90s. There were already deceivers. They are everywhere. And people are still flocking after them. Look at verse 6 again. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This Hebrew-inspired phrase describes people who habitually are disobedient in sin and they are living a life without repentance. We looked at on Wednesday morning, Saul. Saul, there's no evidence of any repentance. In fact, he turns from God and turns to the demonic world and goes to the witch of Endor. Where do you turn in time of need? Is it to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it to the Word that He would speak to you? Is it to a brother and sister the Lord to pray with you? To ask, how am I doing? Is there something that I'm not seeing about myself? Look at Matthew 23, 28. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, there are a lot of people really look like they got it together. But do they have it together? The Bible says there's a lot that don't. The question though is, how about you? Are you moving in the Spirit? Are you moving close to the Lord? Are you more like Him? Matthew 7.15 Beware of these false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravishers wolves. You can't tell them from the outside, man. They, they, they really look like they care. They're good people. You've got to be careful. We are human beings. We are flawed. He is working in us. He will finish the work. But no one has arrived yet. Well, finally, in verse 7, we see walking in love is a separated walk. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Paul's, again, not telling Christians to avoid contact with this unbelieving world. No, no, he's not saying that. But he's saying, do not join them in sin. 
Do not participate in the things that they do. Let me read 2 Corinthians 6.14 Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness and what fellowship has light with darkness. Now the key understanding, I'm not going to go into it exhaustively, but the idea is that if you're going into business, don't go into business with an unbeliever because they're going to have different values than you have. Do not marry an unbeliever. What do you have in common with them? And yet this is one of the common problems in the church. I've seen women and men marry an unbeliever. They've been going to church and after a while they begin to drift and they never come back. The warning is there. This book is full of warnings. Well, here's where we started. The greatest goal in life is to know the Lord, to walk in His way, to love Him and share the light with others. Matthew 25-21 says this, His Master said to Him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful of few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Master. Would you stand with me for prayer? Father, that is our desire today. That we would walk that straight and narrow path. That we would walk in love. That we would walk in the light as You're in the light. Lord, it's our desire to hear those words one day. Good and faithful servant. So Lord, we submit ourselves to You. We, we trust You that You have begun that work in us and You will finish that work. Lord, we know we cannot do it on our own power. So we say, Lord, have mercy upon us. Change us and transform us today. In Jesus' name, Amen.